Hi there, this is Jim. And Ralph. And we welcome you to Psychology Takeaway. Now, we have been uh, kind of sidelined for a while. We explained that a couple of days ago. But we're back in the saddle, and we're ready to rock and roll. Right, Ralph? Right, indeed. <laughs> and, hey, Ralph. Uh, one of the things that we want to talk to our people about today is uh, whether or not they are sensitive, and whether being sensitive is a good thing or a bad one. Okay, good point. Now, Ralph, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Well, I think I'm by nature an introvert, but I have trained myself to be somewhat of an extrovert. Okay, and if we were to ask people on the streets or people in, in corporate America where they are with the Myers-Bridge Briggs scale, they would be able to, you know, kind of identify that. And other people might say, hey, I've got one foot on the spectrum. And so this idea of yours of of sensitivity is one that we should probably be uh, spending a little bit more time with. Now, yeah, and and one of the things that uh, some of the research shows us is that uh, some people are, in fact, more sensitive to stimuli, if you will, than others. Uh, but while that might make you say, oh, I can't do a rock concert. No, that, I, I just can't do it. Uh, that's not necessarily all bad. I mean, it's bad for the rock and roll community, <laughs> but it's not necessarily bad for the individual. You you mean I'm too sensitive to go to a Beatles concert? <laughs> okay. Well, the Beatles might be one thing, but death metal might be another. Uh-huh. Well, um, Elaine um, Aaron, I think her name was, came up with a list of uh, 27 statements. And uh, these have to do with how well a person handles the stimulation of the environment. Now, I can think of this being positive. That is, you know, you're keenly aware of what's going on around you. you know, sitting back, you know, a few thousand years ago, you know, around the campfire, you know, if you heard patter, 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 and roar, well, that would be something to be sensitive to, you know, so that you right. don't end up uh, kind of like the zebra. Uh, however, if you are avoiding things like, a Beatles concert uh, because the uh, uh, amplification is too much, that could be kind of negative. I mean, you, how many times have we had a chance to see Ringo and uh, and the, the, the group all at once? Um, and then there are some people that seem to be like threat sensitive. You know, they, they, they see uh, too much... Uh, well, threat in their environment, and uh, but let's go through these questions, Ralph, and okay. talk about um, um, these the, the the pros and cons of sensitivity. Okay, so the first one, uh, and you know, we'll ask our listeners just to keep kind of a mental checklist of these. So, okay. uh, I'm easily overwhelmed by strong sensory input. Okay, so if you are at a rock and roll concert 
you know, you could end up uh, uh, getting a headache, perhaps, right? Right. Or I can remember the last time Sheila and I went to a rock and roll concert, the tubes were playing, and uh, we had so much sensory input because we were sitting in front of the speakers, you know, the loudspeakers. And, right. Uh, uh, we both had a hearing loss for a couple of days after that, and Sheila, when she was walking out of the of Rose Arena here in Mount Pleasant, was positively drunk. You know, well, she wasn't drunk, but her inner ear was so affected that she was staggering around. Yeah, so, loss of balance. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that could be, if you know that you're going to be in a really strong sensory environment, you might want to do something to mitigate that. You know, perhaps yeah. it was a visual environment. So. Maybe put on your dark glasses. If you're in a auditory environment, maybe put in some, uh, you know, earplugs. But it doesn't seem to be something that's going to going to knock a person out, right? No. Okay. So it's not, now number uh, two is I seem to be aware of subtleties in my environment, and that can be a very good thing because it increases your awareness perhaps of uh, other people's moods, desires, intentions, uh, and mm -hmm. maybe in, in meetings you could be the one who says uh, to somebody, well, I haven't heard you say anything. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Uh, and they've been sitting there kind of, thinking uh, this isn't going the way I want and I've got to raise an objection but they haven't uh, been able to voice it yet uh-huh okay so and you know that being aware of the subtleties in the environment that goes back to my not so great example of the lion around the campfire you know if, right if, if, if your environment all of a sudden is a little bit different than it should be you know that might be a cue for you the next one on her scale is uh, other people's moods affect me. Now, I know of people who get positively grumpy when other people get grumpy or depressed when they're in the presence of you know, depressed individuals. That one maybe isn't real helpful. Although, I don't know. Yeah. Can, you, can you put a positive spin on that? Well, if the other people are happy to the point of mania and you can just be happy uh, it's a good thing but you're okay. right and I mean if you're sensitive to negative emotions from other people to the point where it drives you to say oh yeah I should be grumpy right now um, then yeah that's not a good thing okay yeah um. So, you know, some of these um, statements have protective factors in, involved with them. So if you think that you're sucking in some other people's bad joss, you know, that may be uh, a warning to you just to, you know, kind of let, let it alone. The next one, you know, there are 27 altogether, and we're at number four. I tend to be very sensitive to pain. Well... You know, you might say, I don't like pain, but pain's a good thing. Pain does tell you that something is going on, you know, in, in your body. And so yeah. being aware of it uh, might be 
a, a very good thing. Yes, but there are, for example, people who, uh, well, let, let's say the recent vaccination campaigns, uh, and I say campaigns advisedly because there were a bunch of them, uh, if you had to go to a clinic and get a vaccination and uh, just the thought of getting a needle stuck into you drives you wacky, um, then maybe you were willing to say, you know, I'm not going to do that, which might uh-huh. be a very bad thing. Yeah, okay. Or some of our friends would say it could be a good thing. Yeah. Now <laughs> I'm going to let thing. you. I'm going to let you talk about number five, Ralph, because I'm, my <clears throat> throat is a little raw, and I'm going to go and get a sip of water right now. Okay. Okay. Five, sure is, thing. five is an interesting one. Okay. Five is uh, I find myself needing to withdraw during busy days into bed or into a darkened room or any place where, where I can have some privacy and relief from stimulation. So, for example, uh, imagine that you have uh, two meetings in the morning and two meetings in the afternoon. Uh, they've both been pretty intense. Uh, people have uh, been at some degree of contention with each other. And you find yourself at noon, instead of saying, as you usually would, I'm going to the cafeteria or a restaurant for lunch, you say, uh, I'm going into my office and turn the lights out and just sit for an hour. And, you know, that uh, that's something that people find themselves doing. They say, I've just, I've got to withdraw from being overstimulated and just mellow out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I wonder if part of that has to do with the pandemic and, and everything that we've been exposed to for the last two years. You know, we've just well, been exposed to too much stimuli, and so stopping going into our cave is perhaps the, you know, the best defense that we've got, or maybe the only defense that we've got. Yeah. Um. I can see that. Um, Now, number six, I'm particularly sensitive to the effects of caffeine. Um, Wouldn't apply to us. I know, for example, there are are people uh, like uh, you, Jim, and Sheila, who uh, drink one cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, And then you and I get together and we drink multiple cups. Yeah. Yeah, and and my tendency is to to drink one pot of coffee in the morning. So mm-hmm. I find myself not uh not very overstimulated with caffeine. But uh-huh. some people are really, really sensitive to it. Mhm. Okay. Yeah. The next one's kind of interesting. It goes along with rock and roll, I think. I'm easily overstimulated by Things like bright lights, strong smells, coarse fabrics, or uh, sirens close by. You know, just the environmental noise, I guess, both visual yeah. and auditory yeah. noise. Yeah. And, you know, I can see that. It, uh, um, the When Sheila and I are driving down Mission Street here in Mount Pleasant, 
and somebody goes on the horn. She startles. And then she makes it about her because she thinks that somehow she's done something with her driving that has elicited this stimulus from other people. So she takes it like a negative... um, uh, negative consequence. And when, in fact, it's just some jerk with his uh, or her um, uh, bad attitude on a crowded downtown street in beautiful yeah. downtown Mount Pleasant. And uh, there are people who, uh, you know, just you slow down five cars in front of them and they take it as a personal insult, even though you slowed down so you could make a right-hand turn into a shopping mall. And they go by blowing their horn and... and the, the uh, salute, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a person that is overly threat-sensitive, right? That sensitivity right. in the wrong direction. Okay. The next one's kind of interesting, Ralph. I have a rich, complex inner life. Now, I'd say that, I, I, you know, I mentioned Sheila, and, and we've talked about uh, your wife, Karen. Would you say that that would be true of of both of our wives? I think it is. And uh, to give you an example of that, Jim, uh, quite often in the morning, one of the things that Karen tells me about her is her dreams. Uh-huh. And Sheila her does dreams that are... Uh, amazingly complex and rich and involve people we know, but situations that are completely outside of any experience that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I reply to her, oh, I dreamed about a horse and a ducky. Because <laughs> in comparison to her, my dreams are simplistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that might say something about you and I, Ralph. It might. <laughs> <laughs> the the next one here is something similar to what we've talked about before. I'm made uncomfortable by loud noises. Again, there's your Beatles concert right there. Okay. Yeah, right. and and in some cases, uh, you know, I I can think of Karen. If we have uh, our air compressor on and we're doing something that involves. Uh, uh, nail guns. Uh-huh. Uh, often the compressor press, uh, compresses the air up to full charge, and right. then you can shoot a number of nails, and then the compressor has to kick on again. And right. when it does that, Karen usually jumps about two feet because you know just that sudden loud brrr of the compressor just really startles her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that. It's the things in the environment that, uh, that that push us. That you know, historically, you know, if you go back to my uh, uh, not so great example of being around the um, campfire, you know, we didn't have a lot of noises back then, did we? I mean, and the noises were pretty natural. It's kind of yeah. like when you, you and I would go fishing up in northern Ontario. You know, we'd fly in. And then for three or four days, it was virtually silent, right? You know? Yeah, except if we went out in uh, in the 
motorboat with uh, the small engine, uh, we'd have the, the chug, chug, chug of the engine. Yeah, but right. when, when we came back to shore and often we'd fish offshore, there wouldn't be any sound that wasn't wind or trees or wave action or whatever. And for a lot of people, uh, including myself still, uh, I can find that, you know, going for a walk in the woods, uh, not in the dead of winter when it's really uncomfortable, but uh, we're coming into the season where walking in the woods is more palatable and you can say, Oh yeah, that hour really mellowed me out. I feel much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, you tell the story. You've you've told it on our podcast in the past, but you might just recall for our listeners the experience that you had when you took a group of inner city, I think maybe Detroit kids, or no, they were from from up in Canada, so they were from Toronto yeah. or someplace like that. Toronto, yeah. Remember and that? We, yeah, we another uh, counselor and I took the uh, the kids into uh, the wilderness, into Lake Superior State Park for a week, and uh, they had uh, three reactions. Notably, on, on the first day, uh, reaction number one was, "I'm going to fall over the canoe and drown." Yeah. <laughs> uh, nobody did. Uh, reaction number two was, how do I get along without my music? Because that was one of the criteria. No electronic devices. And, and up, up at Lake Superior State Park, it would be uh, pretty hard to find a place to plug in anyway, right? <laughs> it would, yes. And reaction number three was, I'm going to be either eaten by a bear or bitten by a snake. And uh, they could not understand that, A, bears were relatively scarce and weren't going to come and attack our camp and eat everybody. And there was no such thing as a poisonous snake in northern Ontario. So, you know, uh, but the interesting thing is at the end of the week, when we were coming back, one of the kids, for example, said to me, you know, it's going to be really kind of ugly going back to Oshawa, which is where he was from. Uh, it's just so noisy and dirty. And this was a kid who uh, really had had uh, a little bit of trouble convincing himself that he should uh, jump in the lake in lieu of having a shower or a bath, that, you know, it was really okay to wash up in, in the lake. In Lake Superior? Ooh. Yeah, well, in, in one of the inland lakes in oh, Lake okay. Superior. Yeah. Well, I can remember you and I uh, being in a sauna, this is apropos of nothing, in, what was it, January, and running to Lake Superior and diving in. We were, you know, back in the, the old days, we weren't very sensitive to some things. We were crazier <laughs> than we are now. But, yeah, know, I, I'm not sure that, I would... Uh, want to jump through a hole in the ice in Lake Superior in January now. Today. Today, but the, kid yeah. who worried, the kid who worried about being uh, eaten by a snake or a bear, <laughs> probably, I've been in northern Ontario, you can be eaten by black flies, no question. <laughs> no question, yes. <laughs> they, okay. 
They truly are about the size of a 747. <laughs> okay, with a winning span of 40 feet, right? Yeah, right. Here's one that I think is kind of interesting. That's number 10 in our list. I'm deeply moved by the arts or music. And again, I can see our wives fitting into that one. What about you? Yeah, and, you know, one of the things I I don't think on these criteria, I've, I've taken the test myself, and I don't turn out to, uh, you have to have 14 yeses to score as highly sensitive. And I don't. Okay. Yeah, yeah. happily. And mm-hmm. I don't score as highly sensitive, but uh, I have found myself, uh, not often, but occasionally, um, crying in um, a movie or from reading a book. Uh, so there's a certain degree of uh, empathy or uh, identification with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, characters that that I have. So it's not uh, hugely high. I don't necessarily swoon when I see a great painting, but, you know, it's there. Okay. Yeah. So um, I guess if, if you have this rich, complex inner life and you like arts and music, that would kind of give you an idea of maybe a career direction. Maybe you're not going to be a a journalist that does crime reporting. You know, maybe you're going to be happier to do, what, uh, food reporting or arts and and, and music or have have a job like... The folks on public radio who are just sending us, you know, good classical music 24 hours a day. Okay. The next one is really interesting. My nervous system sometimes feels so frazzled that I have to go off by myself. Well, that's the you know the the withdrawal thing. But yeah, uh, the frazzled nature is kind of interesting. I've had some of my clients talk about how frazzled and how fragile they feel over having to deal with stuff going on in, in the environment. And, you know, I can see having protective mechanisms by which before you implode, you can just say, okay, I'm going to take take 10, you know, take 20, and, and just let my nervous yeah. system sort of cool off. Even uh, just, you know, uh, if depending on what your job is or what the situation is, even if you could say, um, I'm going to go out and walk around the block, you know? Yeah, yeah. If uh, you're working on, a, I don't know, are, do people work on assembly lines anymore, Ralph? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, certainly you can't do it there, but, yeah. uh, you know, if if you possibly can or if it's a, a situation uh, at home, Rather than saying, I'm going nuts because of whatever's going on, I mean, if you can say, I'm, you know, that, that to me, Jim, was one of the few rationales that made sense uh, for people smoking. Is there a relaxed them? 
Well, it was relaxing. And the other thing is that even after people could not smoke in their offices or in their classrooms or wherever they were, it provided the opportunity to, to go outside between um, situations. And, you know, you stood outside and smoked a cigarette. Well, they tell me that that used to be about seven minutes to smoke a cigarette. So, you know, probably altogether, you you got a 10, 12-minute break. And I think a lot of people needed that. And, you know, the fact that they were addicted to tobacco and it was harmful to them uh, was the downside. But the upside was periodically they got to have a break. You know, I was at the... Uh Coca-Cola Museum down in uh, uh, Atlanta, and they were talking about the philosophy behind Coke, and the idea was that a Coke would permit somebody to spend a nickel and take a five-minute break and feel feel good, feel relaxed. There's the caffeine thing going on again. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know what you mean. Okay, so where are we on our list? Uh, we're down to twelve. I am which is really an. In, this is an interesting one. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's counterintuitive. Go ahead, Ralph. I'm well, gonna... you know, one of the things that uh, some of the psychologists have said uh, in the last little while is that uh, one of the marks of highly successful people is that they tend to be idiosyncratic. And mm-hmm. very conscientious. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, you can see that as a uh, as a plus if you are the CEO, but you can see it as a a negative if you are too what too aware of the subtleties of your environment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But now, to, I would want to give you a, again a for example. Suppose you happen to be uh, an IT person uh-huh. and you're working, uh, somebody has given you uh, 10,000 lines of code and they say, it's working, but there's a bug in that somewhere and I can't find it. And they give it to you. <laughs> and the person who is willing to go through every line of code for 10,000 lines and think about each one until they find the hidden flaw, that kind of conscientiousness makes most of us look like we're so laid back, we're reclined. And, yeah. and it really is something that you need in certain professions. Sure. I mean, I would really like to have my airline pilot high on the conscientiousness scale dimension. Yeah. And the the people who are at Boeing and are trying to program things like what was the name of that? Blue Max or something like that that they Yeah. We had, we had some problems with. You'd want them to be as conscientious as, as possible. You know, Ralph, we've been at this almost for uh half an hour now. And we're down at twelve. Half, I think we'll do halfway, yeah. I think we'll do 13 and 14, and then come back next week, okay? Okay, sounds good. 
You know, okay. 13 is I startle easily, and uh, I'm sure we all know uh, somebody, uh, for example, I'm married to one, who startles easily. Uh, with that uh, with, air compressor going on, right? Yeah. It, it's not... Uh, it's not an unusual characteristic, uh, and it goes along with number 14, I think, in a strange way. Uh, okay. I get rattled when I have a lot to do in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're quick to startle, and then somebody gives you uh, information overload, uh, and they say... You have to do these five things, and you have 25 minutes to get them done. Um, for some people, that's just, okay, I'll take them one at a time, and I'll do them, and it mm-hmm. takes as long as it takes. For other people, it's, oh, my God, I've, I'm overwhelmed. I've got five things to do, and I've got a short duration, and what do I do? And okay. they spend the first four minutes running around uh, because they're totally overwhelmed. Yeah, and this could lead to uh, another thing that we've uh, sort of talked about in the past, and that's, you know, procrastination. So, you know, I feel like I've got five things to do, and I've got 20 minutes, and so I'm not going to do any of them. Yeah. Yeah, and that that happens. I, I've done that. Hey, I've got 20 minutes to shovel all this snow. I don't want to shovel the snow, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, one of the things that, I recommend doing in that case, Jim, is lying down to take a nap. <laughs> Which That's might show sol- something about my level of consciousness. <laughs> That's your solution for many things, Ralph, and I think it's good advice. <laughs> it is. So, one of the things for our uh, listeners that we haven't really talked about before, we've talked about, you know, the conscientiousness, and if you have about half of these things that you you can endorse and say, yeah, this is me. Uh, You might say, oh, I'm too sensitive. But the research suggests that people who are gifted, that is intellectually superior or creative, are high in in sensitivity, right? Yeah, and uh, they also say that it can be a professional superpower. So we'll talk about that uh, next week. But um, the, uh, the idea is that uh, highly sensitive people are more responsive, and that's for both better or for worse. Okay. So they're responsive. So in my example, they're not going to get eaten by the lion, maybe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. It, you know, the thing is that, uh, and, and let, let us be clear on this, this is... This is not just uh, a learned trait. This is something that goes right down to the electron level of the brain. Processing is different for a highly sensitive person. Yeah, I I read a little bit about that, and so we can talk about that next next time, that they they process information differently and the, the brain works differently. Okay, well... How about you, Ralph? Are you a highly sensitive person? Oh, I guess you said you weren't. I don't know about that. I think in some areas of your life you are. You know, 
here? Uh, maybe, yeah. One of the things, Jim, that I think is true of me is that uh, unlike, say, me when I was uh, 16 or 17, which was sort of very much innate me, who I was born, uh, by this time in my life, I've sort of overlaid a lot of that down maybe to almost the cellular level with, no, I'm not going to be like that or do those things or, you know, uh, to give you a, an example, when I was 17, I could uh, handily sleep in until 3 o'clock in the afternoon and stay up until 3 in the morning. Now, you know, 8 o'clock bell rings at the church and my eyes pop open. Boing! I'm awake. I can't go back to sleep. <laughs> okay. So, some good aspects of being sensitive to, to the environment. You know? Right. And if you find yourself being overwhelmed by the environment, we've given our listeners some thoughts as to how to um, how to deal with that. And, you know, yeah. use your mantra, uh, Ralph, take a nap, go for a walk. Yeah, go for a walk. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, the idea that you park your kids in front of the TV and you don't interact with them. But if you can get them watching something and not running around like uh, like wild people, uh, maybe you can gain yourself some chance to get perspective. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. You know, we've got uh, lots of stuff that kids can interact with. But with my um, oldest, well, my Elijah, my grandson, we were... Um, he wanted to play Minecraft and things like that, and that's fine. Those are good good games to play, but at least that's what my uh, daughters say. But um, we found a YouTube channel, I think, that had uh, um, funny videos of lizards, <laughs> and we watched that for for 20 minutes or so, which for a you know an eight year old, that's about the attention span. And it was great. It helps him. Yeah. Calm down a little bit. Helped me have close my eyes and have a bit of a nap. And I learned that lizards are pretty cool animals. Yeah, and uh, we don't have any uh, grandkids in the area anymore, but uh, we do have the, uh, the girls across the street, the daughter mm -hmm. of our next door neighbor, and uh, they come over, and <clears throat> Karen often will set them up with. Um, a channel called Cats and Catios. And, okay. you know, they're quite content to sit there and, and watch, uh, you know, cats playing with each other and doing funny things. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been uh, fun, Ralph, and uh, we'll, we'll go through the rest of the list next week. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad we're back on, like I said, back on the saddle. But, uh, yeah, my, I... I've really missed uh, our time together uh, looking at uh, hopefully new and uh, interesting ideas in psychology that we can bring to our listeners. So 
Uh, stay tuned for the end of next week when we do the second part of Are You Sensitive? Okay. And so, in the words of, is this red green? Um, this is red green. Okay. Keep your stick on the ice. Because we're all in this. Together. Together.